Seventh Avenue Pizza, the official pizza of the Soda Pod. The Soda Pod, the official beer and hockey podcast of Seventh Avenue Pizza. Second segment here for us here at MNCAA. It's our CCHA crew, a bit of a shorthanded crew this week. Ryan Steak, Lucas Pippenhagen here with us. Um, guys, CCHA season, second half continuing now that the holiday break has passed. And, um, well, the chaos that we saw in the first half is, uh, well, it didn't take any sort of time off. It continues to roll here into the second half. Um, so, guys, let's start with this. So, first of all, welcome to both of you. Uh, Bemidji, you had the week off, uh, St. Thomas. Uh, I just want to say this. Thank you. Thank you for sweeping Michigan tech, because I I think there's been some chatter about how Michigan tech, at least around the CCHA world, uh, was maybe being undervalued. Um, I think you put some duct tape over the mouth of some of those folks this past weekend. Wouldn't you agree, Ryan? I I would definitely say so, because, I went into that series. I was only able to be at uh, the Thursday game for a little bit with, I had to go out of town for a funeral. Um, but I uh, saw there for Thursday's game and they weren't the team that I thought they'd be. I mean, I was only there for about half the game, but it's just Peter looked off in that he was giving up a lot of rebounds that in the past he didn't give up, <laughs> you know, that he hasn't given up and then just breakdowns on defense and, St. Thomas was crashing the net and Tech didn't have anybody there in front of the net. They just were St. Thomas easily just found paths. And it was so it was this whole year, whenever I've been making predictions, I've been saying, who's the real Michigan Tech? Because they either look really good or they look really bad. And this past weekend, I don't think they're bad but I'm leaning towards they're not as good as people thought they'd be coming into the year. They're, uh, I think they're a decent team that can be good at times, but they are not a runaway monotonous contender that a lot of people thought they'd be at the start of the year. They, they, they have a lot of faults. So uh, to kind of build on this, Ryan, the uh, Mike Richter award watch list was released and um, Blake Pitola was not in that list. And, you know, maybe this is a hot take. I don't think it is. Um, from what we've seen out of Blake Peter, like, I think even going back to the playoff performance last year, I don't think he deserves to be there. I don't think so either. I mean, he, again, I was only able to be half the game, but in that half of the game, he just looked off. I'm around people. I'm around, I'm surrounded by St. Thomas dads, which is hilarious because all the players' dads, when I'm on the boards, just can coalesce around me. And they're all like, is he always this shaky when he plays? They're like, you've covered tech for a while. And I'm just like, this is unusual. I'm used to Blake Pila being pretty locked in, and he was not locked in when I was there and it was so no I don't think he is I, I don't think he has the, the stats obviously as we discussed you know in our little group chat aren't up to that level for the watch list and uh he's just not been playing at the level that he used to be at so no I don't think he should be on the watch list maybe if he turns it around he could be but not right now at least uh Lucas you know to to kind of bring you into the conversation um 
the hockey purist may say, well, wait a second here, guys. Um, has it really been all Blake Peedle's fault? Because is there an argument to be made? And I think there is one to say, well, has Michigan Tech really played well in front of him, right? A lot of the goaltending statistics, you got to also look what's in front of him. Has he been able to see pucks? Um, you know, essentially has he's been given grade A chances left and right against him, right? So, so Lucas, I'm not asking per se, a breakdown of, of Pedal's performance, but uh, Bemidji State, I think, is a good comparison here because Matthias Scholl, Bemidji State has a different team this year. Um, they're not as locked down trap like we have, and it's actually kind of exciting to watch. But at the end of the day, they've also been sort of leaky. And Matthias Scholl, when I've seen, has made some big freaking saves, right? So, you know, when you compare apples to apples, I think, you know, you can make the argument that if you take what's in front of away, Matias Scholl, I'm not sure, was was Matias Scholl on that list? If he isn't, he should be. No, he's not. And and part of that is, you know, he was injured for half the season. He's only played nine games or something like that so far. Um, and he's got a sub 900 save percentage. Like, it's actually been pretty rough going for him. Um, but again, that's not really on Matias Scholl. That's on the defense in front of him. I mean, it's just a, a lot of inexperience in, in the blue blue line this year for the Beavers. Um, losing Kyle Lowe certainly hurts that. And, and pole camp being gone at the World Juniors, you know, these, these last two weekends have been really, really rough. Um, also, just a, a terrible penalty kill, too. You know, every time the, the other team goes on on a power play, it's there's a 25% chance he's given up a goal in that, too. So, I mean, that always kind of hurts your numbers, too, when you're when you're on. Um, you know, taking a lot of penalties and, and not able to kill them off. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, there was a St. Thomas goalie, though, on the Mike Richter uh, watch list. Uh, maybe not the name we expected, but yeah. you guys had a name on there. I, I kind of maybe dissect that a little bit because, um, number one, I think a St. Thomas goaltender probably deserved to be on that list, but I'm surprised of who it was that was on the list. Yeah. Um, I thought Aaron Trotter would probably be on the list because he was their lock there. He was their guy last year. He's still, even though Rico's doing this flip flop Friday, Saturday thing, he's been in all year. Um, Aaron always starts on Fridays. He's always the first guy out. So um, I thought maybe it'd be head, but you know, the correct criteria is <laughs> their own criteria. And uh, Jake Seibel has been, pretty good this year I, I think he, a lot better than i thought he'd be you know usually when atlantic hockey goalies come in to bigger conferences ccha nchc stuff like that you wonder are they are their stats deceiving are they facing just lesser competition you know that kind of a thing you know quality high quality teams or not and he's looked really good at times uh he's just I've seen him play really good against good teams, shut down good offenses. He's done a good job cutting down angles. He doesn't look rattled out there against quality teams. And uh, he and Trotter both got wins over the weekend. Um, Jake got goalie of the week for the CCHA. He's been he's been a pleasant surprise. I mean, St. Thomas overall has been kind of a pleasant surprise because they're winning the conference right now. But to see players that you didn't see at the start of the year being key contributors kind of emerge has been kind of a fun thing to see. So he's off to a, a really good season so far. And if he can keep it up, you know, maybe he will be a finalist for the Richter. Who knows? Top 10 or something like that. But he's got to keep it up and maybe steal some playing time with from Trotter or something like that. <laughs> 
So. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting when we talk about goaltending splitting time, right? Uh, I go back to St. Cloud a couple of years ago um, in the Allentown Regional where David Rennick, their prized four-year starter, goes down with an injury. Jackson Castor had been in the, you know, in a few games here and there, but really was cold, right? He was Julie the Cat Gaffney going up against yeah. Gunnar Stahl. It wasn't great, right? Um, and I think, you know, when as a coach, you, you know, you kind of feel like you put your goaltender in a bad position, right? So I don't disagree with teams floating a goaltender back and forth, even if it maybe doesn't exactly continue that way for the rest of the season, but you have to have at least another goaltender see at least some playing time. Um, just unfortunately, as you know, Lucas would attest, right? Um, when Matias Scholl got injured, right? Bemidji just wasn't the same team. And when you're playing for a conference win, you know, a conference win, meaning, you know, towards the end of the regular season and trying to put yourself in the best position for a tournament time, Lucas, you know, I think it's almost undervalued by some teams how good it is to have a one-two that you can not only feel confident in to be able to put out there, but more so have confidence that they can win you a game, right? Yeah. I mean, especially when you get down to those single single elimination games. I mean your starter goes down and you put in a, a backup that hasn't played all season that I, I you know i wouldn't feel good about our chances for sure in that situation so um and, and just for future development too i mean typically your number one is going to be an older guy the more minutes you can get in in the regular season for your your younger goaltenders is i mean goaltenders have to play to get better that's the way goaltenders develop they, they can't be sitting on the bench and, and there's no reason to to keep a goaltender that you plan on playing in the future on, on the bench in my opinion no. Um, speaking of goaltenders, as we wrap up this segment here, guys, uh, Logan Stein from Ferris State, the only other uh, CCHA representative on the Mike Wichter Award watch list. So um, a couple of names, you know, out there. Um, maybe not oh, the one. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Not Ferris State, you probably yeah. wouldn't have yeah. Ferris State, I didn't think uh, we would see one there. But, hey, you know, at the end of it, um, mm -hmm. his uh, performance has granted him at least part of that watch list again. Um, that list will be um, narrowed down quite significantly over the next couple of weeks. Um, speaking of taking a list down and narrowing, guys, uh, the CCHA in terms of who is fighting for essentially a league title, right? St. Thomas is there. Um, surprisingly, Lake State is keeping pace. Uh, Bemidji is also right there, 27, 25, 24. Minnesota State's also there at 23 points. Uh, guys, is it a three-team race? And I say three-team race. Because at the end of the day, St. Thomas is in the likely position to win it. Is it maybe fair to say, Ryan, that, you know, does it sort of count? Because first of all, in my personal opinion, you should be winning and going to compete in the NCAA tournament. I think this five-year um, mm -hmm. ban or sort of warm-up is BS, if you ask me. Is. Um, but is it three or four teams racing now for the CCHA title right now? I think it's... The CCHA first is always very unpredictable, as you can tell with my predictions when I pick them out every week. But I think it really is a it's getting down there. Once you get into late January, you can start to see what are the teams, even if the league is pretty packed together and it's probably going to come down to seating at the end. There's probably three or four teams that are going to probably be at the end and in the mix. And come mid-February, it'll probably be down to like two teams contending for it. It, uh, I think Bemidji's in the mix. If Bemidji can, you know, get some consistency, I think they can see them right there. Lake State's a surprise. They took a big step forward this year after finishing yeah. dead last. 
And I'm, I think it's just, they're getting more out of their teams. I, I think culture was a problem with Lake state last year from the people we're talking to. It's like, there were guys who were just not fitting in well with what the team they wanted. And as a result, they took a massive step back and now they got the guys that they want and they're buying into the program and they're playing a lot better than they probably were predicted to be. So I think it's St. Thomas, Bemidji, Lake State's in there. Tech, maybe, you know, it's just they're, I don't know, they're like on the cusp kind of thing. I think Minnesota State is has a good chance to get home ice. But I just I just don't see the pieces there. They're just they're they're a step behind, which is the CCHA, it's like everybody's can beat anybody, but they just they haven't built up that consistency that maybe St. Thomas has had during the year. So I would say it's kind of a three-team race, potentially four if tech can figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a three-team race overall. Uh, and speaking of Michigan Tech, Lucas, that is your next opponent for Bemidji State. Um, how devastating if you're a Husky for Michigan Tech, um, if you were to go into this weekend, Bemidji State comes out with a sweep, and now you've lost four straight to teams that are above you that you're trying to chase down. Um, this is a pretty marquee matchup here midway through January, Lucas, is it not for both teams? Yeah, it's going to be extremely important. Um, right now, Bemidji State has a six-point lead on Michigan Tech, but Tech has... Uh, two games in hand. So, you know, at, at bare minimum, Bemidji State needs to get a split out of this weekend. If, if they get swept, I think that puts Tech right back in the mix for, for the McNaughton and, you know, really would, would be a, a big hit to, to Bemidji State's chances. So, you know, when you when you look at these top five teams right now in the CCHA, they've kind of separated themselves a little bit. Um, that four or five matchup in the first round of the playoffs is, is going to be a really good matchup, I think. I mean, those are that's going to be, you know, a, a Lake Superior, Minnesota State, Bemidji State, Tech kind of kind of game. And yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend, though, because it's it's important. I mean, it, it's huge. If Bemidji State can get a sweep out of this weekend, that completely kills Tech for the rest of the year. And uh, to kind of build off this, Lucas, um, yeah, the weekend prior, uh, not the best results against St. Cloud in the non-conference action to get outscored 12 to 2. Um, I would imagine that the week off, um, sometimes it's good, right, to kind of reset. But also, I would hope that, you know, there's some players in that locker room that are chomping at the bit to get back on the ice and sort of redeem themselves a bit. Um, I guess, what is your thoughts headed into this weekend of Bemidji State? Do they got a chance to make uh, some noise against Michigan Tech? I mean, again, not only could you bury Michigan Tech, but you could really cement yourselves um, and no less the top four, in my opinion, but maybe even a top three, top two spot. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, there's still a lot of guys missing from the lineup. You know, Jackson Judding's still probably a, a couple weeks out, it sounds like, from coming back. Um, you'll get the guys from the World Juniors back this weekend, which will be huge. I mean, you'll have Eric Polkamp in the lineup and you'll have Casper Magnuson in, in a top six role. Hopefully Liam Engstrom comes back this weekend as well. He's been nursing an injury here for a, a few weeks now. Um, last Saturday against Ferris, you ended up losing your your second line center, Yuri Weissman, to, to what looks like an injury. So I'm not sure of his availability for the, the weekend series either. But, you know, you, the guys you have have to, have to step up. Because, I mean, you, you cannot afford to get swept this weekend. You have to get points out of this weekend. And, you know, ever you know, it's it's been one nice thing about this season is every weekend it, it does seem like you get some performances from guys that you didn't expect. 
um, last weekend against Ferris State on, on Friday, you had three three different guys score their first goal of their career, um, including Dante Lawson, who was a, a junior from from Tacknight, Minnesota. So, you know, Kirkland Iris had a, had a couple of those weekends too. So, if, if you can just get some some guys to step up and, and score some goals, I, I think they have a good chance. Speaking of good chances, Ryan uh, Mankato um, has a chance to also get some points on the board. They go um, and face Ferris State this weekend. Um, let's just say this, Ryan, um, because when we look at Minnesota State, sorry, they just got done with Ferris State. They're going to Bowling Green. Um, can you tell that my brain is on opposite day today? My goodness. Um, but you know, this this is this is kind of like the matchup where. Oh, just what's what's a good comparison? Like if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you're on a road trip to face Columbus and San Jose right now. Like yeah. they're teams that you should destroy. Yeah. Um, so I guess for Minnesota State, for the fans out there who are feeling high because you know you get two wins, sure, that's fine. Um, but is it more of that Minnesota State is getting better, or are they just facing inferior opponents and they're doing what we all expected them to do? I, I'm leaning towards the latter i think uh just to lean just yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I um i'm trying to be somewhat diplomatic it, it, it's the latter i think they're playing worse competition i mean ferris they've had some wins they've surprised they've shocked saint thomas and then one got blown out the next night or then they'll sh- surprise somebody and then lose badly the next night so Ferris is at the bottom for a reason and Mankato should have swept them because they're the better team. That's just, you're supposed to do your job and you did it. Now they go on to play Bowling Green, which has really been a sad thing because they had a lot going into the year. You thought maybe monotonous contender potentially, and just everything has just fallen apart for them. And now they're just, looking for playoff positioning, I guess, at this point. Maybe we can try to get a fifth seed or something like that or something. But, uh, yeah, I think it's they're just – they're playing the right competition at the right time, that they're able to climb the standings and stay in the mix at the end. I don't think Mankato is necessarily coming around as a team. I think they're just beating the teams that they should be beating right now. And to, to kind of build on that, um, after Bowling Green, they came they come home against Northern Michigan, who sits in sixth place. And then um, how about this? St. Thomas, Michigan Tech, Lake State, Bemidji. They played the top four the remaining four weeks of the regular season. So they're getting the easy stuff out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Minnesota State yet to really be tested. They're going to get a full month of tests for the CCHA mm-hmm. as we head towards the McNaughton Cup, right, guys? Um, speaking of McNaughton Cup and playoffs, guys, I asked the NCHC crew earlier this question, and I think it's a great conversation to have because um, this is a topic that's been debated by college hockey fans, and it's finally at least starting to get some national push. We're talking about John Bucci Gras um, and his push to not only take the NCAA tournament, at least the regionals, and go back to campus sites and also he called didn't say a number but the expansion of the ncaa playoff picture um i'm gonna go to each one of you um lucas um agree or or disagree with the regionals going back to campus sites and two should the ncaa tournament field expand and if so what's your number that it should expand to uh for the Campus sites, I think in theory it sounds good, but then you know one year you'll get a Merrimack or Alaska Fairbanks being a one seed, 
and suddenly you have those travel costs for some smaller schools or you know i'm not even a big fan of, of having regionals on olympic ice like i think that's not you know that's just not something i, I really want to see from a, a regional either you know there, there's certain rinks around the country that just i don't think are, are you know i think would just be a bad experience to have host a regional site and, and, and like i said in theory it sounds great if it's north dakota the gophers boston and you know whoever like in, in theory it sounds great but I, I just can think of way too many scenarios where it, it just seems like a headache compared to the the current neutral site format um in, in terms of expansion, no, I, I don't think it should be. I mean, you're at 25% of, of the teams getting into the tournament already. I, that's kind of what the NCAA guideline is. I mean, that's why in women's hockey, you have that weird 11 team tournament because they need to have, you know, the, the same amount or the same percentage uh, of representation. So it, I, I just don't see a reason why you would want to expand that to beyond 16 I, I i can't i mean how boring are the 1v4 matchups already you know get the occasional upset but last year you mean aic yeah. st cloud state yeah we know yeah yeah <laughs> so state wisconsin i mean you do get those but i, I just you know I, I don't see a reason why you know 16 through 20 deserve the spot in that in that tournament either Ryan, I'm going to play this um, a little bit differently for you because this is a, a conversation. Again, I spoke with the NCHC crew and asked him the same question. Um, the independence, and uh, we all know what happened to Alaska last year. I think we all sat here on this podcast and was rooting for Alaska. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is the independence, if you actually do by brass tacks, they don't really get a fair shot at the NCAA tournament based on their schedule, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's kind of been floated, not really proposed, but you know, a potential fix is why don't we take the independence and do an independent conference tournament, quote unquote per se, and then the winner of that gets an auto bid. What's your thoughts on that? You know, that's that's an intriguing idea. Um, I know it, it was a little sad. All Alaska needed was just someone to win the conference tournament last year that was supposed to win the conference tournament, and they would have made it in. So that's go so back uh, to Lucas's point, right? You're going to yeah. get these upsets, right? So the mm -hmm. fact that we sit here and we, you know, we can say the one seeds expect this, mm -hmm. expect that was Bemidji State beat Wisconsin somehow. St. Cloud State, which had 30 regular season wins. Um, it lost to AIC who had never been in the tournament before. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's more or less to me, you know, if, if, if we're trying to grow the game, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you're not, because I mean, let's think about it. Arizona state literally put the big Ten on its schedule for two years, basically mm -hmm. begging them to join them. It didn't happen. And then a couple of years later, they're now going to be joining the NCHC Augustana which is a brand new hockey squad is going to be part of the CCHA in a couple of years. Right. And yet you've got programs like Alabama Huntsville, the two Alaska schools, right. Also division one club teams out onto the West coast that are looking for areas of opportunity to join. I don't know. Like, is there something to be said about giving the independence a fair shot at this? And, and I think that is an easy solution to do it, but then if you do that, Ryan, you almost have to at least go to 20 teams um, just because then at that point you did seven auto bids. So, I mean, I don't know, like it, it's not a perfect solution. I get it, but I do think with the independence, it would give them something to play for. Even if it's one game, one and done, 
but it would feel like they belong to something and also give them a crack at the can, right? Because right now they don't get that same opportunity that everybody else has. They just don't. So here's a, before I give my thoughts on it, here's a fun little fact. So in 1991, Alaska Anchorage was emerging as it was in its transition to be a D1 program. And back then when it was 12 teams, the emerging teams got a shot in the tournament. So Alaska Anchorage got a spot in the NCAA tournament as a transitional member, and they upset Boston College in the first round. So when some people have said that's the biggest upset in college hockey history in the tournament, you know, right up there with Holy Cross, because who thought Alaska Anchorage would win it, would beat a powerhouse right. BC team? So I actually back the idea of having an independent tournament per se. But like you said, you need to have you need to expand the tournament. You can't just have an independent gets an automatic bid and take away a spot from the pairwise 16. You got to in terms of expansion, 24 is too much. I think you can push it to 20, but that's about the furthest you can possibly go. Um, I'm, I, I kind of like the keeping it 16. But if you are going to do the independent thing, you got to put it at 20 max. Otherwise, it just you're going to shove a team out that earned a spot just to accommodate right. an independent team. So, but I, I support the idea of having an independent tournament or something like that, like a, the highest, the team with the best pairwise independent team or whatever that isn't in the top 16, you know, gets in or something like that. I, I, I support that idea. I think that's a, a fair thing for the teams that don't have a conference, but again, to do that, you need to at least get it to 20. Otherwise it just doesn't, fit really into the format lucas another idea that's been floated out there is you don't have an independent conference tournament but essentially the ncaa somehow and again this is just hyperbole at this point um basically comes in and says um you as that independent you're going to go to this conference you're going to be accepted this this and that we both know logistically speaking that's a lot tougher than it sounds but I think the overall idea here is, should there still be independence in college hockey? Should they not have a home? Yeah, I mean, that, that's tough to answer because, you know, I, I know Atlanta hockey always gets upset whenever you, you suggest that they need to take on Utica or Stonehill or, or whoever. Like, they always feel like that's kind of a, a burden that's assumed on them for, for no reason, really. And, 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 you know, with the Alaska schools, too, I mean, the CCHA formed without them for for reasons, and, and it's because of the financial impact that that was there for you know Lake Superior and and some of these smaller schools that have to travel out there. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's tough to say that you know that there can't be independence. And I mean, it's independents are a good way to get new programs started. And, and right now, there's enough of them that it's not difficult for them to field a, a schedule among themselves. Um, so I, yeah, I just can't see the, a way that the NCA would be able to, to mandate that. And uh, maybe let's let's build on that. If they won't do that, why don't just they why don't they just form a conference right now? Again, with all you know logistics and money and everything else, you know, presuming that because there needs to be a governing body, all that. But as Arizona State saw, and I think they're a prime example of this, is. When you sit out there on, you know, the proverbial island, meaning without a home, 
the financial risk and the risk to your program is significantly greater than if you are with a conference, right? There's a, there's more security there. So at the end of it, you know, I don't know what the solution is, but you know, could that also be something that could be looked at and say, Hey, if, if, if nobody else wants us, why the hell do we not just, you know, pull a vague and say, we're going to be the misfits, right? We're going to make our own conference, but then maybe we're going to have a little chip on our shoulder and, like you said, you just never know what happens come tournament time. Yeah, I think that would be great. I mean, I again, logistically, it probably doesn't make sense. Financially, it probably doesn't make sense. I mean, but it, it really it does suck for those programs for sure. Like, I, I can't really think of a, a good solution to these issues because I, I don't think there is one. It's not a perfect one, Ryan. And I, I kind of want to focus on the regionality, right? I think Lucas brings up a point about the Olympic sheet, right? Um, because the golfers, they're now technically a hybrid. St. Cloud State's still a full Olympic sheet, although that is in the works, per mm -hmm. se, looking for state money to, um, well, essentially prevent the building from essentially breaking down. Um, mm -hmm. Again, the original compressor unit still in there from when the um, Herbrooks National Hockey Center was first built. So they're still using Freon, which is uh, a banned substance. Um, <laughs> but what that would be um, something that the committee would have to look at if that change, right? Because at the end of the day, it's still NCAA sponsored thing. You would think there has to be some sort of guidelines on that, or would there be an exception here? Um, if you're going to go with regional sites, you know, it would not matter about the rink size. Is that something they're going to have to look at? That's actually kind of an interesting point. It is an interesting point. Uh, the good thing is, is that I think there's only two remaining Olympic ranks that are straight up. Are, are, is it Saint UMass? It's St. Cloud and uh, Alaska Fairbanks. Alaska. Is, that, is yeah. Alaska? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. So thankfully, um, I agree with Lucas that Olympic ice sheets should probably not be a host because it's kind of an unfair advantage. Um, but the good thing is, is that it wouldn't be as big of a problem as it would be, let's say like five years ago or something like that. So um, I, I think with campus sites, would rotation be an idea? Like, does it have to be the number one host, number one seed host? That's what's being proposed, right? And that is, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. that's sort of giving them an incentive to be a number yeah. one seed. Uh -huh. um, also, I think if you think about it, if they're hosting the tournament, then logistically that's where then the regional takes place. So then money and travel sort of figured out. Plus you got to think of a television crew broadcast. And I know ESPN definitely would have a say on that with their costs as well. Um, I think the bigger question to that Ryan is, you know, with these things, you know, if we're going to go this route, could we see a week off? in between the camp, you know, in between the, um, the conference championships. So that way things can get figured out. The selection committee can do their thing. And then that way, nobody is rushing on that same three or four days. Cause mind you right now, the same format is after that Sunday, it's three days that Thursday you're playing games. Right. Um, whereas ESPN can go out to that, that same weekend before these teams are announced, they can start getting things set up. Right. So, I would think there would have to be a little bit more lead time because at this point or at this rate, we wouldn't know who these teams are. And for the broadcast partners that would be taking a part in this, they would have to know so that way they can send their crews to the right spot. Right. The, you know, the break between a conference championship game and a regional, it kind of makes sense. 
I, I understand that mindset. I mean, when Bemidji was playing Mankato in the infamous 2020 <laughs> CCHA championship game, you know, if Bemidji had went on to win that game and Northeastern got bumped out, chances are Northeastern would have rightfully thrown a fit over it <laughs> and tried to get an exception from the NCA saying this isn't fair. We were going to win. And then this, all this happened. And then there would be that. So if you had that break in between that could help prevent that, you could throw in your challenge flag, I guess, and uh, have, um, you know, the NCA or the whatever governing body said, say, no, you're, thing doesn't fly or yeah you were right so i think that would be a good thing um to have a break in between conference tournaments especially if you're going to go back to campus sites because like you said the broadcast partners can you know figure it out and where they need to go and uh and if it were the rare occasion let's say st cloud were to host a campus regional and it is an olympic sheet teams would have an extra week to prepare for that and they know mm-hmm. what they're going into so yeah it, that that makes a lot of sense if you're going to go to back to campus sites so yeah that i i like that idea and um i would support that and final thoughts here guys just for me i think the return to campus sites i mean i know there's some logistical things that have to be figured out um and certainly the team that's hosting has a hell of an advantage which to me has question marks from an NCAA independent side of things versus that incentive side of things. Right. But here's the other thing. When we watch regionals right now and they're playing in essentially AHL buildings, it's not there. That's not been the solution, right? The crowd sizes are absolutely terrible. Um, With the exception of Fargo. Yeah. yeah. And they're what, that's what a 3000 seat building at most. Right. Yeah. But that's the thing. Right. And, relatively speaking again for that regional the teams are a bus right away so mm-hmm. fans are in a car right away um despite the elements right we brave through and we get through them right but everyone else it's it's tough it really is tough and i think for the growth of the game in my opinion you got to create excitement from the fan base perspective so i think going back to campus sites i think is going to reinvigorate the ncaa tournament um Obviously, you may have to tweak things as you go down the road, but I think you got to get the fans in the building. You got to get those buildings full right now. When you know you see the broadcasts, and sometimes you know when these they're Thursday games, they're at ten o'clock in the morning or noon, and there's nobody there. That's not how a national championship tournament is supposed to look like. It just isn't right. Yeah. So, and I was gonna say the a lot of times these regional sites, like you look at Allentown or Manchester or all these Wooster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have to fly in to a major city airport and then like hop on a puddle jumper or something to get yeah. to the regional site, or you have to rent a car when you get there and drive to the regional site. So it's for a travel standpoint, for if you're going to go to your team's regional, it's a kind of a headache because not only do you have to arrange a flight, then you're gonna have to find a way to get there. So yeah, I, I agree campus sites are invigorating and also lessen the toughness on trying to get stuff for you know any incoming fans incoming fans would be like hey 
I know where this arena is. I know where St. Cloud's arena is. You know, I know right. where, not like, why am I in Allentown? <laughs> right. You know, that kind of a thing. And uh, you know, what's available and too, to me, the other thing is because, you know, the sport is not cheap. Um, that's revenues to the schools, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think the more tickets you sell, I know, and I'm sure there's a cut, you know, everything goes to a big pool for the NCAA. I think the participating teams all probably get some sort of a cut with it. I don't know that to be for sure, but I'm sh- I would hope that would be the case as they figure that out. Um, because you got to give them a financial incentive for making the dance, right? Um, but part of that, that revenue going right back to the schools instead of having to fork out for the rent and everything else, you already have the buildings there on your campus site. So that to me is a huge savings plus a, a potentially revenue generating part for those schools as well. So we can go on and on about it, guys. Yeah. At the end of it, uh, I think, you know, there are at the very least changes upcoming to college hockey. Hopefully we see again more teams come into, into division one whether it's either a club team um that's making the jump to d1 or a team adding it on a team that apparently tennessee's going to get a club team in the, however many years so i mean hockey is growing but we need to continue to grow it the right way and i think that's all good things uh so with that we'll end it here guys for lucas pipe and hagen ryan steak on mcmaxon for edmund cd episode number 98 we'll see you back here next week for more college hockey